pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Acupuncture. Most of us have heard of this ancient Chinese traditional medical treatment. It's been practiced in China for more than 2,500 years. Ever since President Nixon visited China in the 1970s, millions of Americans have availed themselves of this technique for a variety of conditions. Today, acupuncture is used more and more to treat pain. By inserting very fine needles into specific points in the skin, practitioners help restore our vital force called qi improve bioelectrical signals that travel between the connective tissue and trigger pain-relieving processes in the skin, spinal cord, and brain. On today's show, we'll hear how successful acupuncture has been for Jamie Schimmel's fibromyalgia and plantar fasciitis. Then, a leading specialist in the field, Dr. Robert Bonakdar from the Scripps Center for Integrative Medicine, surprises us with how, why, and when acupuncture can be so beneficial for pain. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, The Pain Community, and DepoMed Incorporated. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Jamie Schimmel is a true believer in acupuncture. The pain from fibromyalgia was severe and other therapies just weren't helping enough. What finally made the difference? Let's find out. Jamie, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here today. You've suffered from both plantar fasciitis and fibromyalgia. Let's start with fibromyalgia. Tell us about it. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia um, in September of 2013. Mm -hmm. I began getting pain probably in May or June of 2013, and I initially had a lot of muscle cramping like in my back, down my legs you know, very different pain I had never experienced before. You know, it went on for a couple weeks, and I just didn't know how to explain it, and I thought, I'm going to try acupuncture. We have some community acupuncturists here in San Diego, Uh and saw a a female acupuncturist, and initially, right away, she told me that she thought, just from the symptoms I was explaining to her, that she thought I had an autoimmune disease. Okay. You know, which one she didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I started treatment with her, um, pretty aggressive treatment. I was going at least three times a week yeah. initially. And, you know, after about the first month, she said, I think you either have um, rheumatoid arthritis or fibromyalgia. And so I didn't really know which one I had. So I started researching, trying to find a rheumatologist because I had read it takes a long time to get diagnosed. 
and... Jamie, let's backtrack for a second. I have patients with fibromyalgia who often describe pain throughout the entire body. Did you experience that as well or just in certain parts of your body? Well, yeah, like the whole backside, Mm. like pretty much from my neck, but it was only like pretty much the backside, which Mm. was kind of odd. And I would get it a lot um, in my sleep. I'd wake up in the middle of the night like in, in pain. It was very odd. I you know, during the day, a lot of neck pain too. I had a lot of neck pain. My neck just really felt inflamed initially. Mm. What kind of a pain did you sense or feel? Was it shooting, stabbing, burning, for example? Yeah, it's like a kind of a shooting sensation, you know, it would go all the way down my back. At first, I thought maybe I had like sciatica, you know, people say, we'll go down the back of your leg. Mm-hmm. I had read about it. That's kind of how it felt. That's the best way I could explain it. I've had patients who will say to me, gosh, you know, I woke up one morning and boom, I had developed fibromyalgia. Did that happen to you too? Yes. One day I just, I woke up one night just in this massive pain. Yeah. I have patients who tell me that in an instant, their life is completely disrupted. I mean, they don't feel like working or they can't work. They don't feel like being with other people. They just feel like sleeping all day. What was it like for you? You know, I was calling in sick more because I wasn't sleeping at night. Sure. Definitely affected my sleep, you know, affected my workouts. I was very lethargic, mm-hmm. so it was a lot harder to work out. Yeah. Um, definitely started gaining some weight, you know, because I wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. So definitely... Yeah, affected my life in a lot of different ways. Uh, Jamie, did it affect your relationships with your family, with your friends? Um, no, not really, because I think um, I did a lot of research about it, read that, you know, that that could happen. Because a lot of people, you know, you look fine. So people think, well, you're, you're faking or, you know, people kind of discredit you and think that you're really not in that pain because they can't tell you're in that pain. But no, I, I brought my family with me to some of my doctor's appointments and stuff so they could hear it, you know, directly. I think it helps to hear it directly from the doctor. And I went to some seminars on autoimmune disorders and brought them with me to those too so that they could understand the limitations that you have when you have fibro. That was very, very smart. I especially like it when when patients bring family members with them so I can describe what to expect and what they can do to support their loved one. And I'm curious, how was the condition diagnosed? I mean, was it the initial acupuncturist or was it the physician that you went to later on? I went to an immunologist, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Went to her, told her my symptoms, told her, you know, that I thought I had an autoimmune disease. Obviously, she said, you know, she wasn't familiar with them. Mm-hmm. She referred me um, to a rheumatologist right away. And I, I got really lucky because my rheumatologist is really, really good. And, uh-huh. you know, I was diagnosed really quickly, whereas a lot of people say it takes years before they get not diagnosed. Right, exactly. You know, fibromyalgia is a pretty common and often underdiagnosed uh, widespread pain disorder. We think that it's a disorder of the central nervous system, meaning that there's an imbalance of neurotransmitters that probably are causing this disorder. There are new diagnostic criteria that are simpler than those in the past. There used to be a tender point exam that's no longer required. Today, patients can be diagnosed either by direct physician evaluation or through the use of a self-report questionnaire. There are a lot of uh, disorders, though, that can mimic fibromyalgia, and those should be ruled out first. Jamie, tell us about what you use to help reduce the pain. I did acupuncture. I went to the chiropractor. I did massage. Mm -hmm. Now let me ask you about the medicines, because the FDA has approved three medications for treating fibromyalgia. One is pregabalin, known as Lyrica. The other is Diloxetine, known as Cymbalta. And the third is Minalsopran, known as Civella. Did you try any of these? 
Oh, yes, yes. When I finally went to my rheumatologist, she started me on a low dose of Cymbalta. So I started on 30 milligrams of Cymbalta. And how useful was it? It, it definitely did help um, because it helps in both ways, you know, with your pain. And it can also help with like the depression and anxiety, you know, that you get just from having that. Yeah. Just right away, um, I did see a, a difference and my husband noticed too, especially like with the depression and like, you know, wanting to do things. And I didn't, I didn't, I had a lack of not, you know, wanting to do anything. Mm-hmm. So he noticed right away, but um, I still felt like I was still feeling some of it after a couple of months. So she increased it to 60 milligrams. Okay. And what did that do for you, that increase in dose? It was fine. I mean, you know, I finally felt like I, you know, was pretty much living, you know, the most normal life that I could live with fibromyalgia. Yeah. You know, by the way, deloxetine, uh, known as Cymbalta, increases levels of serotonin and norepinephrine. And we think that uh, fibromyalgia lowers those levels. Therefore, deloxetine and and other medicines can be helpful in treating the pain of fibromyalgia. Jamie, did the did the deloxetine make a big difference in your life? It it did, but I also was doing a, you know, I do a lot of other things on top of that. Mm-hmm. After I was diagnosed by the rheumatologist, she referred me to another doctor who does acupuncture and you know just does a lot of alternative type of medicine and I think that's probably what helped more. Well, that's good. Did you try any nerve blocks, any injections, uh, physical therapy, or even something called cognitive behavioral therapy uh, known as pain psychology? I got an injection one time um, underneath my like my arm, like where my scapula is. I always had a lot of pain. And so I did, um, I can't think of what the injection is. A trigger point injection? Yes, yes, yes. I did that one time. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it made that much of a difference. Okay. And so I just, I never went back and did it again because I felt, you know, once I started getting the acupuncture, that was actually really helping. Right. You know, in, in point of fact, these trigger point injections or uh, injections into muscles with or without local anesthetic aren't known to be that helpful. Either are opioids or the anti-inflammatory medications like uh, Motrin or Naproxen, unfortunately. How did you first hear about acupuncture? Several years ago, I had plantar fasciitis in my foot, and I had tried everything to get rid of it, and so I went and saw an acupuncturist and got rid of it um, Mm -hmm. through that. So I had known about it, and so when I initially got sick, that was the first thing that I went and did, is I went to the community acupuncture and started getting treatment. Uh And so I already knew, you know, that that was helping. Yeah. And, and, And my rheumatologist referred me um, and I saw, you know, an actual doctor, um, that does acupuncture and he also does, um, hooks you up to like the, the machine, you know, that send the waves in. So, you know, it's a little different than, than the acupuncture, you know, I was getting at the, the community one. Yeah. So. Yes. You know, the plantar fascia is a ligamentous structure that extends from the calcaneus, which is the heel to the base of the toes. It maintains the arch of the foot, and it helps give the foot rigidity when we walk. We think plantar fasciitis is an inflammatory condition, probably from biomechanical abnormalities of the foot, like a, like a tight Achilles tendon. Uh, in middle age, it can occur, and sometimes associated with obesity. How many acupuncture sessions did you have before you felt relief? I did seven sessions at a week apart um, for each session. Mm-hmm. And how much relief did it give you? A hundred percent. I I still, to this day, don't have any issues. That's terrific. And that was done how long ago? Two years ago. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jamie, take us back to the point before you had acupuncture for plantar fasciitis. Did you have any concerns or fears or even doubts about the value of acupuncture? No, um, just more nervous, um, you know, about the needles because I had never had it. And the needles, they're not bad like anywhere else in your body, but it was extremely painful in my feet. Very, very painful. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, did they place the needles into the foot directly? Yeah, directly into where, you know, you're having the pain in your foot. So it's very painful. It sounds like it. And we'll hear more from Jamie next time when she takes us into an acupuncture session and talks about how much relief she's experienced as well as any side effects. Up next is Dr. Robert Bonikdar, Director of Pain Management at the Scripps Center for Integrative Medicine. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical, actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare. Connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Dr. Robert Bonikdar is the Director of Pain Management at the Scripps Center for Integrative Medicine in La Jolla, California. He's also the president of the American Academy of Pain Management and spent time as a Richter Fellow studying Southeast Asian health practices, such as acupuncture and Tai Chi. Dr. Bonikdar, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Pleasure to be here today. Historically, Acupuncture has been practiced in China for more than 2,500 years. Has that primarily been for pain? Well, actually, although that's the main reason that we use it here in the West, Mm -hmm. uh, acupuncture as part of traditional Chinese medicine really was was primary care medicine and and preventative medicine. So it really uh, was what was thought of as what you need to do to stay healthy Mm -hmm. and prevent more chronic illness. Although pain uh, was one of its common uses, it was it was not its only use, and it was had a very diverse uh, utilization for you know common ailments, uh, GI disorder, you know abdominal issues, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to pain issues as well. Okay, well, Robert, you know I've had many patients ask me, "What is acupuncture?" Would you give us an overview? When I describe it, I, I try to bring it down to three basic levels. So what's mm-hmm. happening when the needle goes in? We know it can have a local anti-inflammatory effect. Um, we also know it improves circulation. Mm-hmm. It kind of creates an energy flow to that area that then gets the rest of this body involved as far as creating anti-inflammatory cascades in that area. Okay. And on the second level, I really talk about what it's doing in the spinal cord, which we know is the area uh, where a lot of pain management happens. Mm-hmm. And we know... Certain types of acupuncture, uh, specifically electroacupuncture, has a very elegant ability to downpour the entire endorphin family. And sometimes you think of, okay, there's just endorphins, but really if I'm doing putting a needle in 
and I'm hooking it up to a, uh, a stimulator, uh, electrical stimulator that a lot of people know, like a TENS machine, but this is connected to the needle, mm-hmm. a low frequency, just kind of, kind of tapping every second. I'm going to get certain members of that endorphin family. If I put it at a high frequency, almost like you would feel a vibration, I would get a totally different type of uh, member of the endorphin family called binorphins. And what's nice is I can dial it up or down for chronic pain or acute pain in a very individualized fashion, almost uh, almost more specifically than you can with medicines. Wow. And in some cases, you can get one frequency that works amazingly well for a certain type of acute pain mm-hmm. or a chronic pain, and that becomes that person's individual sort of recipe for acupuncture. Okay. Beyond the local and, and spinal level, there's sort of a neurophysiological brain changes that happen. And this is what, uh, you know, functional MRI and, and PET scans appear to show that even when you're putting a needle in the hand or the foot, there's some uh, very interesting things happening that don't necessarily happen with a sham needle where areas of the brain that control fear and pain, typically we, we, we uh, call that the limbic system, begin to quiet down and uh, areas that, that typically control the emotional um, sort of layers of pain also quiet down. So it is partly endorphin pain relief, but it's also changing the brain and possibly the, the, what we call the autonomic system where you become less stressed out about the pain, uh, so to speak. And that allows that pain patient who may have many layers of, of mood issues and stress and anxiety about the pain to also get pain relief because of those secondary issues being relieved, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, it does. What a fantastic overview. Let me ask you about the third category that you mentioned, and that is the brain or the cerebral cortex. Is there any information that tells us that acupuncture stimulates other parts of the brain, like the hypothalamus and pituitary gland, to produce an endocrine-related effect? There's some interesting research looking at uh, the hippocampus and progenerator cells in the hippocampus actually being uh, improved in the area of acupuncture in depressed patients. Mm-hmm. There's actually some elegant studies using acu- electroacupuncture with antidepressants to, see, to get a sort of synergistic benefit because it works on different parts of the brain than necessarily the medicines might. So I think there's some future research in that arena as well. Okay, sounds promising. Straight ahead, we'll find out what the difference is between the traditional Chinese medicine theory of acupuncture compared to what we've just been talking about, the Western theory. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. DepoMed Incorporated, a specialty pharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing products to treat pain and other central nervous system conditions. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives. Reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. We've been talking about how acupuncture involves stimulation using electromagnetic signals that are applied to thin needles that are in turn inserted into specific points in the skin. And these points have both traditional Chinese properties as well as Western biophysiological properties. Robert, talk to us now about traditional Chinese medicine and their belief about acupuncture. Every traditional culture 
had a concept of this vital force or energy, whether it's chi in, in Chinese medicine or prana in Indian medicine, lung in Tibetan medicine. Mm-hmm. And part of that is maybe they didn't have the physiology to describe it, but they could tell, you know, when this needle goes in, uh, they can feel, you know, improved blood flow, color changes. So what they might envision as more vi- more of a vital force is happening there, and that's how they typically described it. Uh, and the concept in Chinese medicine is that there's blockages in oh, this flow. Right. And again, we could take that arthritic knee um, as the area where there there might be stagnation or blockage of flow. Mm-hmm. And with the needle, uh, knowing physiologically it is going to improve blood flow, it's going to get uh, you know neuro uh, cytokine inflammatory markers moving. You could also see traditionally as it's it's creating that flow of qi, which is the vital force mm-hmm. that in many respects is not flowing, is stagnant. And it's causing, you know, inflammation and pain. So, uh, you know, in that respect, that's how I describe qi. Okay. So in traditional Chinese medicine, uh, the belief is that pathways called meridians traverse the body and carry qi, which is life energy, from organs to the surface of the body. Will you describe the meridians for us? Traditionally, there are these meridians and they're running up and down the body, so sort of from head to toe. And they're described as these energy flow tracks, sort of the highways of the chi. Mm-hmm. And on these are off-ramps, sort of the, the acupoints. What's very fascinating about this is that some of the very traditional points, which again have been described for thousands of years, are now the very specific points that we find have traditional properties. There's a point between the first and second finger, sort of in that web space between the fingers, mm-hmm. that's known as LI4, large intestine 4. Uh, and needling that area has very specific ability to reduce some areas of brain hyperactivity associated with pain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another point in the lower leg called stomach 36, which if that's needled, uh, appears to have similar changes in the brain, but also appears to have some ability to change properties of the stomach. So used a lot in, in gastrointestinal disorders, mm-hmm. people that may have a sluggish gut. Somehow that point more so than a point just an inch above or below it can have these properties. And, and the question comes up, how do they know that? Right. And I think it was like with traditional medicine, repeated use, working with colleagues, uh, they found that this was the perfect spot. And, and again, that might have a little bit of a wiggle room, but for the most part, these meridians and specific points in the meridians appear to have somewhat specific neurophysiological properties that may be linked to those areas having more of a neurovascular bundle. So they're just sort of these these hot spots on the meridian that seem to be where a lot of acupuncturists use repeatedly for specific conditions. Mm -hmm. Great description. Now, my understanding then is that the meridians anatomically are connective tissue planes. Uh, And in traditional Chinese medicine, they represent body systems that help regulate body function. And then you talked about acupuncture points, those acupoints, which represent the convergence of connective tissue planes in a biophysiological model. What do you think? Yes. uh, And I think there's uh, some great research in the East Coast looking at connective tissue planes and how when you actually line up actual anatomical planes, they're very close in proximity to some of these hot spots that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That also is correlated with some of these myofascial trigger points, which may also be very close to acupoints or specific spots on the meridian. Mm. So th- there's still a lot that we don't know, but it is interesting that putting a needle in the finger 
uh, in the hand can create some, some pretty amazing changes in the brain. And it's fascinating that at the local level, acupuncture can deactivate those myofascial trigger points that you mentioned, in addition to having an anti-inflammatory effect. Join us on another show when we talk about the goals of treatment and the conditions acupuncture best treats. Dr. Bonakdar, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.